Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to the Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow him. petition, which is one you've all heard of, you've probably quoted it a thousand times, which is talks about temptation and deliverance. Temptation and deliverance. That's the one. Why does Jesus, when he ta- said, to, you know, he wanted to teach people how to pray, why does he say, make sure you include praying for forgiveness and deliverance? Why? We're going to look into that. But um, temptation, obviously, obviously, guys, this is something that we all have to deal with. We're all tempted to say things that we know we shouldn't say, do things that we know we shouldn't do, right? We're always at that moment. And there's, there's a game itself. Sometimes we make fun or find fun ways to even play with this. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this game, Monopoly Cheaters Edition. Um, anyone ever played Monopoly before? For some of you guys, you play Monopoly. Well, Monopoly Cheaters Edition is a, is a different monster in and of itself. My kids wanted it one day, and they asked my grandparents for Christmas, give us a Monopoly game, and but specifically Monopoly Cheaters. And so the thing with Monopoly Cheaters Edition is you play Monopoly the normal way, except you are encouraged to cheat. So, it, you know, and, and in any which way, whatever you can do to win and bend the rules, do it. So, for example, if, if somebody has a lot of hotels, swipe the hotel if they're not looking. Let's see if no one notices, you know. So if you swipe a hotel and no one notices and eventually they do, oh, oh it's too late now. Now you've lost that. You can swipe, um, you know, if, if you go around, uh, you know, past go, you can collect more than $200 if you're slick. But it, so the thing is this, if you are caught cheating then you are penalized big time. But if you are not caught cheating, you're celebrated and that's how you win. So we, bought, we, we started playing within 15 minutes, man, within 15 minutes. Some, I mean, my kids are at this point, what, they were like five, six, and nine. I mean, they were wrecking all kinds of havoc. And we're like, nope, 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 this is a Christian house. No, we're not doing this. And so we packed it up, we returned it, and we bought something, we exchanged it for something a little holier, all right? Connect Four, all right? And so that's what we exchanged it with. Um, and so, but anyways, I, I bring that, that game up, not to say that you can't play it, but I'm just saying, to, you know, that, that's an interesting thing in that here it's tempting you to do the wrong thing. And if you get away with it, yeah, you know, and obviously guys, we don't need a game to do that. We are tempted every day to do what we don't want to do specifically, especially for believers, we become a little more sensitive to that. And so the thing with, and, and the thing with, not just being tempted, but when we fall to temptation. We've all done that. We've all been, maybe, you know, called buyer's remorse. Anybody ever did that? Yes. Okay. In which you were tempted to buy something and you bought it. And they look, I need this. I need this. The second you bought it, why did I buy it? You know, and now you can't return it. That's one of those sometimes, right? Or maybe you have to go through the hassle. And so that happens a lot. And a lot of times when we fall to temptation, don't we wish that there was a reset button? That we can be like, oh, this is not what I thought. And I'm sure we've all done, now I've, I've said a couple silly things, but I'm sure we've done some serious things. Tempted to do the wrong thing, did it, had fun in the moment. And the second that feeling went away, we were left with shame and regret, pain. What have I done? Wouldn't it be great to have a reset button just to be able to go back in time, just a blink, like that, like a video game, right? I, I know when me and my friends, we used to do that instead of rage quitting. When you can tell, right, that's like, well, that was back then we didn't call it rage quitting, but, you know, playing Mario, and then there's that game over, you hit the 
reset button, right? Not like start over. I want all my lives back. Or modern day rage quitting, right? You're playing online. You're about to lose. You rage quit because you don't want to end the game. You want to start over. We wish there was a start over button, right? Well, what if there was? And what if there is? And so the reason why Jesus tells us to pray for it, not only against temptation, but pray for deliverance, it's because he knows being tempted is not a question of if you will be tempted. Being tempted is a question of what? When. It's a question of when. And that is why, guys, we need to look. We need to think about why did Jesus put this in his prayer? Because there is something that only Jesus can offer if we pray for it. And so we want to look and say, what does he mean and why does he say to pray for these things? So let's put our Bible verse, so it's our last one out of the, out of the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Let's put up Luke eleven four and Matthew six thirteen. I want you to look at it really quick because it's a little different, all right? Um, we've noticed that these are the two places in Luke 11 and Matthew 6 where we see the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 is always the more detailed one, except Luke has a summary with some other new details, but it's pretty much the same. But notice the difference here. Luke, in 11.4b, he says, and do not bring us into temptation. Stop. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the rest. Why doesn't Jesus finish the prayer? Why doesn't he include, but deliver us from evil? Next Sunday, I'm going to show you why, because he tells a very weird story that doesn't make sense if you read it on its own. But there's a reason why Jesus stops the prayer in Luke and does say says something else to illustrate what we're going to talk about today. But look at this, all right? The last prayer we're supposed to pray out of six things he says to pray for. Honor, your, your, may your name be honored as holy, number one. May your kingdom come, number two. May your will be done, number three. Give us today our daily bread, number four. Number five, forgive us as we forgive others. And number six, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or another translation you may have it is deliver us from evil, all right? Now, I like that one, too. I I think if there was one, I would rather stick with evil because uh, you'll see why in a minute. Because when we think of deliver us from the evil one, who do you think of right now? Shout online, type it, and who do you think of? The devil, right? All right. Hopefully no one said my spouse. I'm like, oh, that was good. My, you know, my kids, you know, hopefully no one had to say that one out loud because that would have been an awkward drive home. All right. And so, right, deliver us from the evil one. Well, immediately... Now, I heard a mumble, and I heard primarily devil Satan. Did anybody online, I can't read you right now, but did anybody say me? Did you think of you? Deliver me from the evil one. Because that's going to be one that I want you to think about. Because a lot of times, who do you need to be delivered from? Man, yourself, you're your own worst enemy. And so if you think your enemy is only on the outside of you, you're already going to lose a battle. So when, when we think of this, let me give you that parameter. When we think of deliver me from who? Because there's something that scripture says in Christ, she shows us something called the flesh. The flesh is the thing. Why are you tempted? What's that, what's that little, um, you know, the demon on that shoulder? You got the angel on the one like the cold cartoons, right? You got the angel on the one, you got the demon on the other. What does that mean? Because if you're a believer in Christ, there's the spirit of the living God that is in you. And, and he's desiring you to do what's right. But then there's your flesh inside and your flesh has a, has a taste, has an appetite. And the flesh's appetite does not want anything that's of God. It feasts and enjoys everything that is outside of God. And that is what we, that's what tempts us. That's what we're pulled to. And so let's look at a couple of things. The first one, I want to look at this, guys. If, you, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you something. But notice what he says at the beginning, deliver us from temptation. 
Again, don't lose sight, guys, of another plural pronoun. Like nowhere here, read it again. And you've probably very Mandela effect. You probably read the Lord's Prayer and said, Lord, give me my daily bread and forgive me, deliver me. Jesus never said that. He always said what pronoun? Us. That means that you shouldn't just be praying for yourself. You got to be praying for somebody else. Because Lord, deliver us. So who's the us? Me. Who else is around you that you know that you should pray for? Whatever it is, you should pray for other people other than yourself, guys. So remember that. But the reason why Jesus is pray, 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 Lord, deliver us from temptation. Or actually, I'm going to say it better. That's not what he said. He says, do not bring us into temptation. Now, I want to pause and tell you guys, God does not and will not tempt you. He doesn't do that. Okay, God is not someone that says, all right, you're a believer in Christ now? Cool. All right, let me see. What are you struggling with? You're struggling with lust? Hmm. All right, let me find some sinner over here with, with booty shorts on, and I'm going to send them your way. Let's see if you're going to look. All right? You know, let's see if you're going to look. Oh, what? oh, my gosh. And I was like, he looked. Failed. Horrible. I can't believe this. I'm wasting my time on this guy. You know? God doesn't do that. He doesn't send temptation to us to see if we pass or fail. That would make him very cruel. He is not like that. God does not send temptation to do that. In fact, scripture says over and over again, it says, God, do, do not ever say God tempted me. He's testing me in a wicked way to see. No, God does test, which is different. He may allow things to happen to you, not to see if you pass or fail, but to give you opportunities to choose. Will you trust in him? Because when there is that resistance, and when we trust on the Lord, there is strength. That's how we grow. That's how we grow, guys. Listen, do you know why we have gyms full of weights? You know why? Because you cannot build muscle without resistance. All right? There's no muscle without resistance. You have to push against something that is pulling in the opposite way. When you are pushing something, again, if you think of a bench press, where is that wanting to go? Down. Where do you need it to go? Up, because if it keeps going down, it's not going to be pretty, right? You need it to go up. It wants to go down. That's what temptation is. The, 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 the spirit, well, the flesh inside of us wants this, and you're like, no, we're going this way. And the spirit, the Holy Spirit is like your holy spotter. And when you trust in him, he gives you the strength. If you say, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Don't lead me into this. Help me. And he will give you the strength that you lack. And now sometimes... We're not perfect. That's why the next part's going to come in. But do you see where the temptation comes in? This is an important thing. God will allow things to test us so we can grow, but never to like test us like, you know, in a bad way, like, oh my gosh. And so, but the thing that we need to understand is this, be very, very careful. Why does Jesus say, deliver us from temptation? It, it speaks of discernment, guys. When you pray, Lord, deliver me from temptation, you're praying, Lord, may you open my eyes and help me to see what I can't see. Because my flesh and my mind can be easily manipulated. And here's the thing, guys. Let me tell you something. The devil, the devil always hides the hook in a bait. Darkness always hides a hook in a bait. Can, you guys ever seen a lure before, right? John, I know you've seen these. Oh, my bad. This is, um, let me show you this thing. Let me fill this up. The sin, if you're taking notes, the sin that initially attracts you will eventually attack you. I didn't come up with this. I heard many other people say it, but this is an important thing. Why should you pray against temptation? Because the very sin that is tempting you, attracting you, will eventually attack you. And I, there's no other better image than, again, a, a fishing lure. If we can put that on, look at this. Guys, fishing lures, why do they make them the way they do? Right? Why do they make them the way they do? 
They make them. And everything, if you're not a fisherman, you know that all of these lures are perfectly designed to look like the kind of food that a specific fish that you want to catch looks right. Am I wrong? Right? That's what it is. All lures are designed to look like natural food that the fish already eats. So it thinks, oh, that's, a, that's normal. I eat that all the time. And once you bite into it, it bites you back big time. Right? And so look at this. It's shiny. It's this. In this case, the lure is exposed, but the fish doesn't see the lure. It sees the water shining and the light shining on the scales, on this and that. Oh, that's food. I eat that. I'm hungry. Hum, hum, right? Literally, that's what happens every time. Guys, that's what, isn't that what temptation is? He puts, the enemy puts bait on the hook. Here's what you need. Here's what you need. This is a good thing, right? This is love. But it's on a hook of lust, you know? Oh, this is a great, this is, it'll make you feel good. It gives you good. And it's on a hook of, of substance abuse. You see what I'm saying? There's always a bait that is something that you and I truly need and desire. And the, and the enemy will always try to mask God. He always comes out as an angel of light, but with a hook inside. That's what temptation is. And so why do, should we pray for temptation, guys? Because you and I are tempted all the time. Paul says, pray without ceasing, meaning pray without stopping. And I heard a preacher say, why should we pray without stopping? Because we're constantly tempted without end. You know, we're always tempted. And so if we're, since we're always tempted, we should always be praying, Lord, help me. Help me to see the hooks that are there. Help me not to bite or buy into the lie. Because that's what this is. I'm sorry. If you're a fisherman, let's just be real with you. All right? You're nothing but lying to fish. Okay, that's all you're doing. You are a liar. <laughs> if you were a fisherman, you are a liar because you are pretending it's true, but it's okay. We'll allow it, all right? And so that's what that is. Um, but the, the thing is, is that once you're, you know, the goal is, guys, is to not fall into temptation. Now, I'm here to tell you, if, you're, if you want to follow Christ, you're actually going to be more sensitive to temptation. This is a scary thing. Before, you would have done things and not thought twice. But now when there's new life in you, and now God has awakened you, you're realizing, oh my gosh, I, I didn't, that was damaging, and I didn't know. And now you're going to be even more sensitive to temptation post-Christian, right? If you're a believer now, you're going to be more sensitive. And, but you're also, you got to remember, you can still be susceptible. So you got to be asked, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Don't bring me into this. Bring me, show me the way out. Do you guys know that in 1 Corinthians, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, um, Paul tells this to this church. I'm going to read it to you out loud. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, he says, whatever, whatever thinks he stands, whomever thinks he stands, must be careful not to fall, meaning your pride. Don't think that, oh, I'm never going to be tempted, or I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Because it's the second you think you're good, you're not. And you won't realize it until, that, until it's too late. So he says, be careful. Whoever thinks he stands, be careful. And not to fall. No, no temptation has come upon anyone, you, except what is common. Meaning we're all tempted. It's a shared thing. It's, you're not alone. But God, listen, but God. Listen to that, but God. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, he also provides a way out so that you will, notice here, bear it. The temptation doesn't go away. He gives you the strength to endure it. But that's the thing, guys. And by the way, that's an interesting phrase. Does God, God will never give you something that he'll never tempt you beyond what you can handle. Uh, who's, let me just help you, not your strength. Because if you can handle the temptation on your own, you don't need him. Now, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, who do you have residing inside of you? 
but the almighty, all-powerful Holy Spirit of the living God. So there is no temptation that comes against you that you can't handle because you have him. You hear me on that? There is no temptation, not because you're so special. It's because of what resides in you is so special. Why does scripture say greater is he who is in you than anything that comes against you? Because it is him. But I love the fact that, guys, look, not only will he give you the strength to endure it, but there is an escape hatch. There is a way out. I love this scene from Dory. You guys ever seen this one when they're caught in the sharks? They're about to get eaten, all right? And then they're looking, and Dory looks up at the thing and says, oh, we got to get out of here. We got to escape. We got to escape. And she looks at the sign and says, what? Escape, right? Who knows that, right? Escape. Escape. And then he was like, Marlon, what does he say? You mean escape? Oh, escape. Boom, right? And then they get out. Because here's what they think. What did she do wrong? She misread. She misread the sign. And because she misread the sign, if, if the other one wouldn't have figured it out, what would have happened? They would have been shark meat, right? Literally, shark bait. That's exactly what happened. And she misread the sign. Guys, you know what the end, you know what temptation is another thing that temptation wants you to do? What darkness wants you to do? Darkness not only wants you to tempt you from biting in the hook, but you know what darkness wants you to do? He wants you to misread the signs of scripture. Miss, he wants you to misread the signs. Because if you misread the sign, you don't go to the escape hatch that God has promised is always there. He is the escape hatch. Christ is the escape hatch. You hear me? There's a phrase, uh, uh, Spurgeon one time, he said that when it looks like, I, I can't find the exact phrasing, but I know Spurgeon said, when you are surrounded, remember that the way up is always open. And again, it's that idea of the escape that you can always call out to Christ, call out to him and he can and will help you. And, and a lot of what I just said here about reading the signs, you know what the Holy Spirit does inside of you? He's not only there to remind you, to strengthen you, but what does he strengthen you in? With the truth. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit of the living God, one of the things that he will do is lead you into the truth. Notice what is the prayer? Don't bring us into temptation. Do you know what you're praying? What, you what kind of is implied in that? When you pray, don't lead me into the lie. Lead me instead into truth. Lead me into, that's the opposite of that. Don't lead me into the lie. Expose the lie and lead me into the truth. That's an important thing there. Now, here's the warning thing, though, because notice, Jesus doesn't say, lead me to the truth. The Holy Spirit will lead you to truth, like if it's something for you to know. No, he wants to lead you into it. Now, into it, it can, get, it can be a little bumpy ride there when you're being led into the mystery of who God is. It's, you're able to enjoy it, and it's a lot of great things, but it can be a little, um, it can be an interesting journey sometimes. All right. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone whitewater rafting. I did when I was in, in, in high school before I went to college. All right. Uh, that's not me in anything there, but uh, I couldn't find my picture. Some, I know some people have gone whitewater rafting before. It's a great experience. Now, here's the thing. We stood on the banks of the shore and they told us everything about whitewater rafting within an hour. You know, they, they, they explained to us why does the water become white water? Like, what does it look like underneath? How it's smooth and this and, this and it's that. How did this shape and, and why does it look like this and that? And why, what about this and different kinds of, of rapids? You know, you got class one, two, three, four, five, all of these things, right? Here's your T-grip on your thing and your mouth and your, all of this stuff. How to sit on the raft, everything for about an hour. And included in that, after they made us sign a waiver, they tell you about a hundred ways that you might die in this trip. And then they make you sign a waiver. And so, but here's the thing. Do you guys all understand? It's one thing to stand on the shore and talk about whitewater rafting. It's another thing to get in the boat and jump in the river. Right? 
two different things. Do you guys know that this is what the Holy Spirit invites you to when it comes to he leads you into the truth? To lead you into the truth, it's not just so you can know it. It's so you can experience it. You know, in fact, there's a, there's a Spanish word, and I'm going to help you all out, a little Spanish lesson here, okay? There's two words in Spanish for the English word that we use the word know. If you know it, you know it, all right? And so what is the two words? It's saber, S-A-B-E-R, and conocer, all right? C-O-N-C-E-R. Both words, saber and conocer, mean the same thing. They mean to know, but they explain two different types of knowing. Saber is about knowledge. Like, I know this about you. Like, I know your name is Eric. That's, right? That is saber. That's knowledge. But, it's, it, do you guys understand? It's another thing to say, I know Joel. That's not saber. Now, that's conocer. It's not knowledge. It's knowing. Do you see the difference? There's knowledge knowing, and then there's knowing you. I know you. I don't know everything about you, but I know you enough. You, you feel me? Does that make sense, guys? Guys, that's the same thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to lead you to saber Jesus. It's not enough to know about him. He wants you to know God. The knowledge is not what, what is offered. It's the knowing. In fact, that's what got our great, 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 great grandparents in trouble. They chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus knowing the living God. They said, we choose knowledge without knowing you. There's death when that happens. And so the thing, guys, is that this, and you get a bumpy ride. You're not ever going to see everything right away. Hey, listen, it was a little dangerous. I flipped over. I literally did almost die. But you know what? You know, when you are into the truth of God, there is something about you that has to die, and that's your flesh. When God leads you into the truth, something needs to die inside, and it is that part of you, that flesh inside, so that you can live. And so this is what it means when God tells us, pray, lead me into, don't lead me into temptation. What should he be leading us into? Lead us into the truth. Guys, have you not noticed? Uh, I know we didn't have anybody saying, sign any waivers. We're, we're in the boat right now. We're, we're in the white water of his word right now. I don't know if you've noticed that right now, okay? So buckle up, because it might get a little bumpy, okay? And so it's going to get a little bumpy in a minute. So now what's the other half, though? Because the first part is really preventative. Lord, don't lead me into temptation, meaning help me not to succumb to it. Help me not to fall. Help me, Lord, to preserve and, and, and to be good. But then why does he also say, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one? This is good because it almost, under, it's like Jesus understands, listen, I can give you grace to, to overcome temptation, but what happens when you fall to it? Jesus already put it in the prayer. When you fall to temptation, pray for deliverance. Jesus already, look, guys, I want you to understand that. I know some of you have, have been hesitant to pray because you're like, I fell in temptation again. I keep on falling again, and then you feel guilty. He built it in here. It's just the assumed thing is there might, now he doesn't want you to. He doesn't want you to fall into temptation, and you shouldn't take advantage of it, meaning, oh, I can do whatever I want. God's going to bail me out later. No, we don't do that either. But he is built in mercy and grace forgive me of my sins that's mercy and deliver me that's grace that's in the bible that's in the prayer there and so it matters now why should we ask again when we say deliver us from the evil one i already talked about you but now let's talk about the other individual that so many of you guys came up with who was it again right, the devil darkness who he is well let me tell you something about the devil and this is pulled out of scripture himself you got to let god define 
You let, def- you got, let God bring the definitions. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, G, uh, we see Peter brings, bring a definition. He says this in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says this, be sober-minded, all right? Sober-minded, meaning, hey, you got to be on lock here. Be alert for your enemy, your adversary. The devil, Satan, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone to devour. Let me ask you a question, guys. We can put the picture of a lion on there, all right? Uh, you got to understand your enemy. I'm going to go back to that slide. My bad, I forgot. And so look at this. It says, the enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking who to devour. Guys, you know this. What do lions eat? What do lions eat? Meat. Can, uh, what's another word for meat? Can we use flesh for meat? So if he's looking around for whom to devour, do you see why even more you should avoid walking in temptation? Because who wants, who's being tempted? Your flesh. If you are walking in the flesh, you're giving the enemy something to snack on. See what I'm talking about? When you walk in the flesh, you're giving your enemy something to snack on. And so we got to be careful not to walk in the flesh, but instead we walk in the light, walk in the truth. But let me tell you something. I know this picture looks intimidating, right? It's an intimidating line. But did you hear? Did you? Did, I think I read that verse too fast. Peter didn't say he walks around as a lion. He said the devil walks around like. He's pretending. Scripture also describes another lion that is a real lion. The king of the beasts, the king of the jungle. Who is he? Jesus. Yeshua, Jesus, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion. And so what is the enemy doing? But he's trying to walk around like a lion. The devil is walking around like an angel of light. He's trying to, when he roars, what is the roar? The roar is not intimidation. Ah, I'm going to kill you. Ah, I'm going to kill you. The roar sounds like Jesus. It sounds like scripture. Just a little bit, just enough, but it's not. You get close enough. This is not that kind of a lion. He, he draws you near. You think it's Jesus. That's not the lion. It's a different lion. He's pretending to be Christ. Again, anti-Christ. It's a gang. Anti-Christ. That's what he does. Right, so here's that, that quote. My bad. I forgot to add that. So, uh, Carlos, I got you. Here's the thing I want you to remember about the devil. He is like a lion, which notice I put it there. The devil is like a lion who likes to lie because he wants you to die. That's literally it. The roar is a lie, but the roar sounds really close to Christ. He wants to. This is where, for some Mark, you and I, we used to love online, Mark, we used to love having these conversations. We were so infatuated when we were studying the book of Revelations, and we were looking at 666. Some of you guys may know that number. And 777 represents Jesus, 666 man, and the devil. What is the number six? It's the closest number to seven, but it's not seven. So the devil can care less. He doesn't mind if you're in church. He doesn't mind if you're reading the Bible. He doesn't mind if you're religious. As long as it's not seven, six falls short. It's not seven. And you're gonna, we're going to look back at some things. And again, you feeling, okay, we just went down to class three rapid. We're not at the five yet, so buckle, okay? So now, this is what it is, guys. You not need to understand. He likes to lie. Why? Because in the lie, there's death. And he wants to steal, kill, and rob everything. If the devil can't keep you from being a believer in Jesus and you are saved, he's going to try to rob you of the joy of your salvation by, by getting you to follow the different kind of a roar. 
by getting you to follow the flesh. And what's even worse, he'll try to get you to follow the flesh and thinking you're following the Holy Spirit. That's a class A trap right there. Where you're walking in the flesh and the, the whole time you are thinking you are walking in the Spirit. That's careful. We need to be careful about that. So what does this mean? When, when we speak of deliverance, right? Deliver me from, what does this mean? Because sometimes guys, you're going to find, right? You're going to find darkness. You're going to find that just gnawing on your neck. And so that's what deliverance means. Help, help me. My bad. I, I, I thought it was you. I wanted to give you a hug. Oh my God. And so it's not that. And so deliver us is another way of saying, help me, help me when I'm this, help me when it comes to that. But how, what does deliverance look like? Because that's a big word. You can Google deliverance and deliverance ministry in Christian circles, and you are going to get a ton of information. So let me give you a good anchor foundation. If deliverance, if your definition of deliverance is not rooted in this, then you're, you know, it's going to be faulty. And so deliverance is nothing but discernment. It's connected on there, right? Why does he pray, Lord, do not lead us into temptation? What does that mean? That's discernment. And here's the other part. It's, it's not just deliverance. It's discernment. But you know what deliverance is? It's discipleship in the word and truth of God. Is that, uh, make sure I remember my own notes. Yep. All right. There we go. It's in the word and truth. Do you guys know that right now we are doing deliverance ministry right now? I am doing deliverance ministry right now. Right now. Why? Because we are looking into the truth of God to learn to discern the truth of God, to be discipled by the truth of God, because that is how we are ultimately delivered. It's preventative medicine, guys. I, you know, I've heard it said a lot, you know, man, we put all of this money to create cures for diseases. And we don't put the same effort on, hey, why don't you just do more preventative stuff? Stop eating, you know, eat less, work out more. No, I'd rather just pop a pill and do whatever I want to do. You know, like, like it's very backwards. We don't, you know, the, the, not to be a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but, you know, Big Pharma and all these guys, they don't want you eating your vegetables and all this stuff. It, 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 they make money with your on the pills and stuff like that. Now, the pills are great. Not anything in science. It's awesome to have advancement in medication. But are you guys tracking? You guys tracking? It's more expensive. It's worse to have to treat the consequences of the disease rather than have done preventative stuff that would have never have gotten you there. And so, guys, this is deliverance ministry. This is future deliverance ministry by getting in God's word and learning to be discipled. Discipled from what? Again, the lies. You are, we are supposed to be discipled from the lie. Another verse, let me read you. 2 Corinthians, this is another verse where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And check this out. He says this. This is a great one for deliverance ministry. All right, look at this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. He says this. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Instead, he says this, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Now, notice this, guys. What is our weapons? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. What are our weapons? You know what our weapons of choice are for spiritual warfare? Words. The weapon of choice for spiritual warfare is words. The devil has his locked and loaded. It's just words, lies. So what do you combat with a lie? The truth, right? The truth, the word of God. That's what that is. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're, we're anchoring so much in this because that's what it's supposed to be and do. It's powerful. The lies are powerful. But what is more powerful is that very Truth, that is even more powerful. And notice, and we use it to demolish strongholds. 
Now, this one, if you've ever prayed, think about this. Some of us, we've done this. I've done this. We still do it. But I, I have, you know, you got to understand in this way. Sometimes people may pray and you may feel, man, so this person has a stronghold of depression. They have a stronghold of, of lust and addiction. Is this language making sense a little? They have a stronghold of insecurity and rage. Well, you know what, you, you, you know what you're diagnosing when you say those things? Those are the fruit. The stronghold is not the fruit. The stronghold is the roots. So if someone has a stronghold of anger, bind and cast the spirit of anger all day. Go ahead, do that. But if you don't address the root on what is the root of the issue, you need to replace the lie with the truth. What is the lie that is such, has such a stronghold on? Maybe this person is so angry and they're so bitter. Why? Because when they were a child, they felt abandoned by their parents or something happened. And that created a root of bitterness, which has turned into a root of anger. And so is, do they have a spirit of anger? Yes. What is, this, what is it attached to? It's attached to a lie. And what is the lie? That I'm, maybe it's, you know, the lie is, is I'm, not, I'm, I'm not special. I'm no one. I'm nothing. Or, or the lie, it, 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 that's what it is. And so you have to address the lie. Someone has an addiction. All right, cool. So you want to bind whatever spirit of alcoholism all day. What is the root of that alcoholism? Why are they drinking beyond compare? What is it? What is the root down there? Because that's where the stronghold lies. Because you know what you do when you do all that other stuff? All you're doing is, ooh, that's a rotten fruit. You're picking all the rotten fruits and chucking it outside. Hey, they've been delivered and the roots are still rotten. So it's just going to come back again and come back again and come back again. What is the stronghold? Do you know how I know the stronghold is this? Read the next verse. He literally says in, thir- in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, God has given us power to demolish strongholds. To demolish. He repeats the word. So he's defining the stronghold in verse 4. You, God has given us power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. What is the argument rooted in? He says, every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know what that is saying? That is like somebody who's been, let's say all day, all right, we're going to talk about, there's an, an, an untangling that has to happen here, okay? There's a lie here that needs to be untangled, and that's what this is saying. We demolish strongholds, meaning, you know, you guys have had to undo knots, right? Those are not fun, right? Especially every year at Christmas, there's always one string of Christmas lights that, you got to be kidding. I, I, so I, I, am, I am believing that there's rats that hate me that go up in my attic and mess it all up because I know I didn't put it like that because I don't understand. There's always knots in the Christmas lights and I didn't put it like that. There's a knot that's in, that's the creating that stronghold. What unties the knot but the truth? This is a lie that means needs to be untangled. And there's a lot of things, guys, that there's, you know, the enemy has, darkness has a stronghold on your life because there is a dark lie that has a stronghold on you. But the truth is more powerful than that. The truth is more powerful than that. This is why when it comes to Jesus, right, he, he breaks chains. He undoes knots and breaks chains. That's what it is. But you've got to get down to the root of it. And notice we tear down every argument against the knowledge of God. Because when you have, here's what, check this out. You may maybe be dealing with a lot of anxiety and fear. Jesus talked about this. We did a couple weeks ago. You have a lot of anxiety and fear. That is oh, like it has a stronghold on your life. 
What's the root of the anxiety and fear? Jesus addressed some of it. It's like, you're so worried about all these things, but you forget who I am. I'm your father. So what happens when, we're, when, we're fe- when we have anxiety and fear? We're believing that my God is not enough. There's the lie, right? Or when someone just is, they have trouble. They have a stronghold of, you know, again, of addiction. Why? They have a stronghold of their, their emotions, anger. Why are they so sensitive all the time? Is because they've been hurt a long time ago. And the lie is there were weapons, words that wounded them long ago. And so now why are they reacting all the way? Because they're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to protect themselves. I don't want to get hurt again. And so in let me hurt you before you hurt me. You ever dealt with somebody like that? I'm going to hurt you first before you hurt me. And you preemptive strike sometimes, and that person wasn't going to even do anything. Look at that. Why? Because the stronghold. But when you replace the lie, and here's what the blood of Jesus does. Not only does the blood of Jesus and the truth of God, it washes away our sins, but the power of God can actually go and give you new eyes to see the past. And he can rewrite that memory and rewrite those words. Listen, I'll give you one. All right? I remember I I had hopes and dreams of singing, being a musician, all that. And I remember where I was in this Italian restaurant on uh, Himes, and I don't know what that side street was, but every time I pass that restaurant, I want to burn it down because I have bad memories. I have bad memories because I remember I said my dream out loud. I said it out loud for the first time. I want to be a singer. I want to sing. Everybody at the table. What do you think what their reaction was? what oh my god i mean just just the bread wasn't even out yet and they were just dunking on my dreams you know and it was like that and it was what i know it's sad right (laughs) so my grandma i love my grandma she was very critical too my grandma used to be very critical person i and i those words would repeat a lot loop a lot and there was, you know, elements of stuff like that, that, you know, people would, you know, let's, you know I, I had a, a lot of insecurity that grew up in these things. But the more I came into understanding who Jesus is, and the more I understand who am I in him, he was giving me eyes to see, listen, your grandma, and the more I learned about my grandma, yeah, she was super critical. But because, and then I started hearing about the trauma that happened in her life when she was a kid. And, and she was hurting me, not because she was mean, it's because she had a wound that hadn't healed yet. And she was hurting me, not because, and she loved me, and I knew that. Guys, I'm telling you, like, I've looked back at things that I, I would be mad at my mom and my dad for something, something like that, only to look back and realize, that was, that was stupid of me to hold on to that. I bought a lie, and that lie made me interpret the past one way. But when you believe in the truth of who God is, he can even look back at your past. He doesn't rewrite the past. He gives you new eyes to see the past and can set you free untangle that knot so notice when he says we what did paul say here we take every thought what was the word anybody remember captive by spear point was the phrase can we look at this you've seen this movie tangled this is how you should approach every lie that you see right the sword of the truth of god is designed the scripture says it is designed to cut in between spirit and bone, and it wants to expose every single lie inside of you. And this is why it gets bumpy when you get into the truth of God, because when the spirit leads you into the truth, he's going to lead you. That truth will lead you to confront some 
truths that you thought were truths that were lies. And so when you and I recognize a lie, what are we called to do? We take it like this. Look, in the same way, we take it by spear point, by sword point. It's like, get up. And this lie, you're coming with me. You no longer. And we cut the lie with the word of the truth of God. So that's what it is. We got to take every thought captive. No, I'm not going to think like this. I'm not because I know what my God says. And this is what he has said. This is a lie. And you escort the lie violently if that you escort the lie and you anchor it with truth that is spiritual warfare guys that is spiritual warfare so yes are we called to pray against the enemy and all this stuff 100 percent. pray and stand firm but what do we stand firm on what do we wield the armor that paul talks about in ephesians he says we have an armor it is an armor of light guys what the belt of truth is truth the word of God, the belt of truth. And then you got a helmet of salvation. And how are you saved when you're confronted with the truth of who God is? You have a breastplate of righteousness. How are you covered in the righteousness of God when you're covered in the, when you're understanding the truth? It's your heart, right? You have the, the feet, right? The shoes of the feet of the gospel. And what is the gospel? But the truth of who Jesus is. You have a shield, a shield of what? Faith? What do you have? Faith in faith? No, you have faith in his word. And then you wield the sword which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Guys, if you haven't realized it by now, not only have we been on a little spiritual uh, whitewater rafting trip this last little bit, but I've been sharpening your swords at the same time. That's all it is, polishing that brass, polishing that armor. That's what we do. That's what this is. That's what this, that's what discipleship is. That's what it's for. And so we are called to take every thought captive by spear point, because again, there's those knots right? That is the only way that we can untangle the knot of a lie is with the truth of God. In fact, Jesus said this in John 8, 31, 32, if you abide and continue in my truth, here's the next one. Some of you may know this because people quote it. They don't even know they're quoting Jesus. The more you continue in my truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you know that phrase continually? We're supposed to continue in the truth so he may continue to undo the knots in our soul, in our mind, in our past, so we can be set free from these things to truly be what God has designed and called us to be. And it is all in this truth. That's what the Spirit wants to do in us. And so I, think, I thought it would be good as we are looking at this idea of Jesus says pray. Pray, deliver us not from temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I thought it'd be fun to do an A-B comparison. And let's go all the way back to the beginning. And let's see how our ancient relatives handled the temptation. And we're going to compare that. So we're going to do a tale of two temptations here. The temptation of Adam and Eve and the temptation of Jesus. Some of you are very familiar with this, right? So what did the serpent do? He got them, hey, eat the fruit, bite it, eat it, everyone's dead. And now we have the problems that we have today, right? And so, well, there's more to it than that. In fact, you got to think of this. Here you are and you're the devil. And you, you got kicked out of hell. You got kicked out of heaven. You cannot compete against God. And so here you see humanity, a husband and wife couple, which the scriptures declared, this is the crown of all creation. You know, the scripture says that we were even created higher than the angels. Higher than the angels. Because there is something that we have in the way he made us that is even different than an angel. Right? And so now we don't act like angels because, you know, of this. 
I was like, just meet my kids. Like, I know, right? And so now I get it, I get it, I get it. You should meet my neighbor. I was like, I know. All right, but hold on. All right. My neighbor's cat, he's the devil himself. I get it. All right. They all are. Okay, but hold on. Sorry for the cat people in the house. But listen. Here, what did the devil do? Because if the devil, let's look at the strategy. How did he tempt them? He tempted them by saying this one thing. His first words out of his mouth was this. Did God really say that you will not die? I think it's interesting that the first thing that the devil in recorded history ever said was a question. Not a statement. He didn't run up on them like, you know, just all gangster style and do drive-bys and take them out. I'm like, ha, God gotcha. You know, boom, where were you? He didn't do that. He slid up, asked a question. Up until Genesis 3, for two whole chapters, every time we've seen the word of God, the name of God, it's always the Lord God and the Lord God and the Lord God said this and the Lord God did that, which Lord just means, I mean, ultimate, magnificent, amazing. The first person to change God's name was the devil in the question. He didn't say, did the Lord God say not to do that? He said, did God say? The devil, notice he said everything. He did, did he lie? He didn't really lie. He diminished God in the question. He diminished him in the temptation. The devil's number one strategy, guys, is to get us to also, check this out, to doubt the character of God. Is he Lord? No, he's just a God. Interesting enough because, oh, and you can be a God too. He diminished God to exalt yourself. And so he says, did God really say? Eve steps up. She thinks she knows what she's saying. She did. And I'm like, yeah, God really said that. Not only that, she, he, you know, not only are we supposed to not eat it, we're not even supposed to look at it or else we die. First off, exaggerator, okay? She, God never said that, okay? She went too far. She went too far. And, but interesting enough, here's the devil kind of misquoting scripture, misquoting the words of God. And she bit the, she bit the lie. She, she got already on the hook. The devil misquotes scripture. What does she do? Misquotes scripture. She added to the words. Already dangerous. Be careful. Do not add to God's word and don't assume. You're already, you got the hook in your mouth already. But the second you add to it, you're on it. And so what does she do? Oh, she's, don't eat it from it. Okay, okay. And then he says, no, see, you're not gonna certainly die. Bro, what a lawyer. I mean, literally, the devil is a lawyer. You're not gonna certainly die. In fact... You'll be just like him, and he knows it. Now, he doesn't say these things, but what is he implying about the character of God? What is he implying? Hmm? God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. I know a secret that you don't. That's what he, did he tell her, don't trust him? No, but he worded it in a way that led her to her own conclusions. She arrived at that conclusion. And then he finally says, eat and your eyes will be open. Now there's a truth. Did he lie? He didn't lie. If you eat, your eyes will be opened and you're gonna have everything that you need. When they ate, were their eyes opened? Mm-hmm. But it's not the, they bit on a bait that they, they didn't see the hook inside. You see what I'm saying? It didn't make them like God it made them the most opposite of God. It did the opposite effect. That's what temptation always is. Here, have this, you'll be happy. You eat it, now you're sad. Eat this and you'll be like God. And they fell away from him. See, 
What did the devil do in that garden? He got, the, he got Eve to, he got, he misrepresented God. He misinterpreted the word of God and led Adam and Eve to misapply the word of God. They, mis- they misrepresented the character of God. They mis- misinterpreted the words of God. And now they misapplied the way of God. And they fell. And here's the sad part, guys. Adam fell too, and we're going to get to that in a minute. So now let's, let's A-B compare this. Here we had Adam, the first Adam, in the garden with Eve, and the devil tempts them, and it doesn't work out. Fast forward a few thousand years or so, depending on how you keep track. Here's Jesus, not in a garden, but in a wilderness. After 40 days, the devil goes to tempt Jesus now. Interesting enough, he does it the same play. He runs the same play. It's the different formations, different disguises. Some of you, if you know sports, right, it, it, there's a, a, a base offense that you have and a base defense, but what do you do? You try to mask and disguise it to confuse, but it's the same play. You're going to do the same thing. devil did the same play that he did in the garden, thinking he had the devil. I mean, thinking he had Jesus. What did he do? The first thing that the devil says to Jesus, we see this. He, uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. He says, Jesus, he doesn't ask a question, but he implies something. Jesus, you're hungry. If you are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. 40 days without food and water. The guy is about to just be done. Did you see the bait? Did you see the twist? He he said what? If. If you are the son, turn these stones into bread. The son of who? The son of God. You know what the temptation was? Jesus, you can't trust your dad to take care of you. Why don't you take care of yourself? He's, if in that statement, he got, he's trying to get Jesus to miss, he's trying to misrepresent the character of God. Take care of yourself. You can't trust me. If you're the son of God, how are you starving after 40 days? Take care of yourself if you are the son of God. This wasn't a prove it. It was a, don't trust him. Did God really say? Same thing. Different words. Same play. Different words, same play. And what does Jesus say? He, he responds by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why is that statement so much heavier? Because he's saying, listen, I know the truth of who my father is. You can't talk to me like that. Don't misrepresent him. I know who he is. I trust in what he said and who he is. Do you see how much that, that response was so much heavier? We live by the truth of who? The, guys, this is the nature and character of God. And so when Jesus replies back, he knew the play. He knew the play and uh, incomplete. Nope, you ain't going to score here today. Incomplete. You're trying to get me to see my father smaller like you tried to do Eve. I see you. So the devil, ooh, look at the devil now. The devil says, oh, okay. You want to quote scripture. You got to live by every word that comes out from the mouth of God? Got it. He takes him to the top of the pinnacle of the temple, hundreds of feet high in the air. And you know what the devil does? On top of the very temple of God, he starts quoting scripture. Jesus says, I live by the word of God alone. Ooh, let's see how well you know it then. By the way, you know that the devil knows scripture better than you, which is why we spend so much time even on Sundays. You should spend it every day. You better get in on this. So what does he do? He takes him up there. He takes him up and says this. Do you know what he's quoting? Psalms 91. 
If you got a little cross-reference, you can look at it. Psalms 91, he's quoting Psalms 91, and he says, Jesus, the word says, ooh, because remember, Jesus brought up, hey, we're going to play with words. So the devil says, your word says, the word says that God, your father, back to his daddy again, he will give charge of his angels over you and your feet who will protect you and your feet will never hit a rock so jump jump why did he say that because he says remember if you are the son of god he's trying to get him to not trust his father jesus says oh no i trust him what is the next devil's next prove it prove it that he's good he promised that your feet will never hit a rock so why don't you jump you see all those rocks on there jump prove it he does take care of you. If you believe so much and you trust in your father so much, prove it. You know what's fun? If you read Psalms 91, the devil quotes it perfectly, except he took a put something out. Like Jenga. He just took one thing out. And he stopped short when he says, and God said that he will protect you and give his angels charge over you. He missed something. He will protect you in all of your ways. It was, it, I know it's so subtle, but look at the devil. He just took a couple syllables out. And you know what Jesus, his response to the next thing is? He responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6. Do not tempt the Lord your God. Why did Jesus say that? Because what was the devil doing? Well, Jesus, show. You trust in your father? Then jump and put your trust in him. Prove that you trust in your father. Prove it that you trust in him. Show me. Prove it. But the devil saw it. No, no, you, what you are calling trusting in God is tempting God. And you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Guys, let me tell you this. This is a strategy that the enemy uses today. He will not only get you to misquote scripture, to misunderstand his character and nature, but the devil himself will get you to live sometimes in an extreme way that you force God's hand to say, if God doesn't show up in my life, I'm screwed. And And we call that sometimes radical faith. You do not tempt the Lord your God. That's a scary phrase there. Are you, I hope y'all can track on that one. We just passed a class five rapid. I don't want to double back and go get it. That's how I felt, by the way. We had to go back to another loop, and that's how I felt. Listen, listen with that. He will get you to think that you are trusting in him, but in reality, you're tempting him. You know how people do that? With offerings a lot of time. Well, Lord, your word says, your word says that if we tithe, that you will rebuke the devourer. And I tithe every month. And, and my, you know, my, my, my engine just blew and I don't got that money. And now this, my air conditioning is gone. And this, I lost my job. I thought your word said, if I do this, and I thought it said, test me in this, test me. I did. And you did not come through the way that, see, that person thought they were trusting God by the way that they were giving their offering. But in reality, they were tempting him. Lord, I'm going to do this. You better pull through. God, I'm going to live my life in this way. You better show up. And the hard part is that a lot of Christians that live like that, they have Bible verses to back up every single action that they're taking. Why? The devil did it to Jesus. He tried, failed. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Guys, listen, some of you can tempt him and you can call it trust. It's tempting him. Don't do it. The other part, so he thought he had him. Round three, all right, let's go. And then he takes him and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And then he says, all right, you trust your father. You trust his nature. You trust his word. Got it. By the way, that's another thing. Jesus didn't have to prove anything to the devil. Listen, you don't got to prove anything to anybody when you know who you are in Christ. You don't need affirmation from anyone when you know who you are in Christ. 
So now he goes and says this, stand on the, now he shows him the kingdoms of the world and he says, I will give you all of this. We're wrapping up. I will give you all of this if you just worship me. You know what? Here's the crazy part. The devil knew Jesus's purpose. He knew, why is he here? Jesus is here to reclaim the kingdoms of the world. And so the devil says, these are all mine and I will give them to you. If you worship me, it's mine. He offered Jesus the kingdom with a shortcut away from the cross. That's what he offered. You can have all of this. Interesting enough, what did he tell Eve? You can be like God. You can be what he wants you to be without having to do all of that work. Jesus, you can have the kingdoms. I'll give it to you if you just worship me one time. You don't have to suffer. You don't have, here's a shortcut to what you're here for. Let me make it easy for you. Just worship me one time and you can have it all. Do you know what Jesus' reply was? He replies back with Deuteronomy 6, 13. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God alone and serve only him. Wait, wait a minute. What did the devil ask Jesus to do? Worship. What did Jesus just say? You shall worship the Lord your God alone and serve only him. Did the devil ask Jesus to serve him? Nope. But the devil, Jesus knows, sees the hook inside the bait. He knows what you worship, you serve. So if I would bow down and worship you, I would serve you and that's not going to happen. By the way, how dare you say that you're going to give me, that you are going to give me the kingdom of the earth when my father has already said in the Psalms over and over again that he will give me the kingdoms. You don't own nothing. I don't need nothing from you. I still trust my father. You see that? Do you see that? Guys, the same game plan. The devil does the same plays on you still to this day. Same formation, same play, different formations to mask it. What does he do? If he can get you to misrepresent the character of God, which is a stronghold, that stronghold will then lead you to misinterpret the word of God, which will lead you to misapply it, leading you to death and destruction not to the abundant life that Jesus talked about. But what's beautiful about this, guys, is that not only did Jesus fulfill the temptations, every temptation that Adam and Eve failed, Jesus didn't fail. He passed it. But not only that, he lived a perfect life that they couldn't live, that you and I could not live. And on the cross, here he is, on the cross, he did the very thing that the first Adam should have done. Where Adam... The Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. Adam knew what he was doing, which makes his sin worse. Because she thought, I'm obeying God. and This is a good thing. She was tricked. Adam knew, my wife is not going to die. The God, my father, God is going to judge her. And so he had a love for his wife. He had a love for his bride. So what does he do? Because of his love for her, and he has a love for God, but he has such a love for her, he lays down his life and bites the same fruit and says, I would rather die with you to be with my bride than to have to live for the Lord without her. Why do you think when God showed up, he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And Adam, he should have stood up and said, instead of eating the fruit, he should have ran and brought her to the father and saying, God, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention or the devil was, she was misquoting scripture and so was she and I was, you know, you know how she can be, so I was a little embarrassed. I don't want to correct her, but anyways, I don't, I don't know. And so, God, I'm sorry. She, listen to the words that he should have said. She didn't know what she was doing. 
She was deceived. She didn't know what she was doing, but I am the one responsible. Judge me so that she may live. That's what Adam should have done, but instead he, because of his love for his bride, he was misled and he chose poorly. And he laid down his life for his bride, but to die with her, not to redeem her. So what does Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive my bride. They did not know what they were doing. And Lord, I did nothing but judge me in this moment so that my bride can live. And Adam, just like he laid down his life, Jesus laid down his life, not in disobeying the father, but he laid down his life for his, the love of his bride in obedience to the father. And not only did he live again, but now so do we. And we have life in Jesus' name because of what he did. You see that because of what he did and it gets better. I'm sorry, it gets better. Hang in there because I'm telling you it gets better. Do you know where we are now? The resurrection created a reset button. Do you know that we're back in the garden? We're back in the garden. Do you know how I know this? Scripture says it. When Jesus, first off, he is buried in a garden tomb. Where did it all start? But in where did death establish itself? In a garden. Where is Jesus buried? In a garden. Where does he come back to life? In a garden. And when he stands outside, Mary Magdalene looks, and she doesn't recognize Jesus, and Scripture says she thought he was a gardener. We're back in Genesis all over again. God, the gardener. God in creation. She thought he was the gardener. And what does she do when she realizes it's Jesus? It's Jesus. You're alive. You are the Messiah. What does this woman do but turn and run to the men, to the apostles? What did Eve do when she bit the fruit? She turned to her husband and said, eat this, and he ate it and died. What did Eve do in the garden? She sees the fruit of life. She sees Christ, runs to these men and says, believe Jesus is alive. Bite this fruit, and they did. And they believed, and Jesus showed up to them. We're back in the garden. Do you know when Jesus said to the person, today you will be with me in where? Paradise. You think that means heaven? Do you know what the phrase paradise means? Garden. He told them, now you're going to be with me in heaven, so you're going to be with me in paradise. We're back in the garden again. Here we are. Reset once again. We're back in the garden. And look at God using men to reverse the curse. He's literally reversing the curse. We're back in there. And there was a beautiful thing that happened on the cross. Some of you may know this. Some of you don't. The scripture says that when Jesus died, the second he died, there was a curtain in the holy place. It was a thick curtain that represented separation between a holy God and an unholy people. Only the high priest could go in once a year, and it would be good for the people of all time. Are you guys hanging in there? Can I keep going? Because I'm almost done. What happens in that moment? Jesus, as high priest, he is on the cross. Do you know what is happening? Jesus is on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Do you know what is happening in the temple at 9 a.m., 3 p.m.? The high priest at 9 a.m. is starting the sacrifices for East for Passover, Easter, at 9 a.m. And at 3 p.m., the final knife slices, slices the last sacrifice for the atonement of the sins. And the high priest goes into the holy place with the blood of the lamb. To atone for the sins just for a year. What did Christ do? He started, he was began to be crucified at 9 a.m. And on three o'clock sharp, when the knife slits the animal in the temple, Jesus gives up his life. He gives up his life. And the priests in the temple are saying, It is finished. The service is over. And what does Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. 
at 3 p.m., the sacrifice, the sacrifice, uh, the, the sacrificial lamb of the word of God. And now Jesus enters the, temp, the temple of God as high priest with his own blood and atones for our sins. And at that moment, you know what scripture says, what happens? The veil was torn and ripped in what direction? Top to bottom. Not just ripped, it was cut. If you remember in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden because they can't eat from the tree of life because something is not right. And an angel is given a flaming sword to protect the tree of life. Now, we don't, what if? This is, I think, a what if, but I think it's a really accurate what if. If you and I would have approached the, the, the tree of life, Adam and Eve would have been slain by that sword. What if at three o'clock sharp at that moment, the sword of judgment of God came down on Christ and because he was the perfect sacrifice, ripped that veil from top to bottom. And now we can have forgiveness and hope and life and joy in Jesus' name. Do you see what he did? Do you see what he's done for us? He's reversed the curse and we're back in the garden. And now here we are again. We still have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you and I can run to. But now there's tree of life. The way to the tree of life has been opened. There is Christ and we have life. No matter how many times we may fall and we run and we bite the wrong tree, we can run to Christ again. Lord, deliver me. And we can snack on the fruit of the truth of who he is and his nature and character and his love. We're back in the garden, it's the same thing. There's a massive reset button that God has given us. And so when he tells us to pray, pray, don't lead me in a temptation, but deliver me. It is a prayer of saying, Lord, I'm willing, correct me, but also Lord, protect me. And that final prayer, this is why I, I titled this prayer, this, this sermon, this is a prayer for revival. Because you know what revival is? It's a reset button. Revival is nothing but falling in love with Jesus all over again. That's what revival is, falling in love with Jesus all over again. Whatever that looks like, that's revival. And so this is a prayer for revival, for perseverance. Lord, I want to honor your name as holy. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. Lord, I want your daily bread. And God, thank you for your daily bread. Forgive me of my faults that I don't match up with. Forgive me of my faults as I'm living your word, as I'm applying it. But Lord, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one so that I may continue to honor your name, so that your kingdom may continue to go, so that your will may be done in my life. Do you see the loop? It's a reset button, and that's what we're called to do. And if we ever fall and fail, we run to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me and deliver me and set me free. Sometimes, guys, we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins, but sometimes we need to ask him to deliver us from the consequences of it, which sometimes can be that shame and regret. But we can call on his name. Guys, listen, the tree is there. And interesting enough, when you read the book of Revelation, do you know what we see in the book of Revelation? A tree of life only life that tree is not only for one day guys it's for today and when we pray this thing when you pray lord deliver me why are you asking him to deliver you because jesus is your holy deliverer look talk about the nature and character of god what should you anchor on in that statement alone that christ is your holy deliverer no matter how many times you may fall no matter how many times you fail what Jesus did on the cross is enough. So call on him once again. Stand up. Know that he is your deliverer, not just in the past, but he is delivering you even to today until he ultimately delivers us. Guys, one day, listen to what Jesus did on the cross. Right now, he has delivered us from the power of sin 
the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And one day he will deliver us from the very presence of sin itself. But until then, may you continue to pray, Lord, deliver me from myself. Deliver me from my ignorance. Deliver me from this shame. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that the sword of the truth of God may cut me loose so that I can know you and never be the same again. He is your deliverer. So pray and call out to him. Call out to him.